Well, I'm curious if we have any basketball fans in the house this morning. Anybody? We got a few. You don't have to be shy. You can raise your hand high if you like basketball. I think basketball is my favorite sport uh, to watch just because of the fast-paced nature of the game. But whether you're a basketball fan or not, uh, chances are you've probably heard the name Larry Bird. Uh, Larry Bird played for the Boston Celtics his entire professional career, 13 seasons, leading uh, his team to five NBA finals and three NBA championships. And that's just really unheard of these days. I feel like every year professional athletes are switching teams or every other year. Uh, They don't stay put in one team and really put in the work and the time that it takes to build a legacy like that. Well, Bird is on many people's Mount Rushmore of players. And uh, during his retirement party uh, at the Boston Garden, former Celtics coach Casey Jones talked about uh, his struggle with Larry, a deep struggle, uh, when he would diagram a play on the sidelines for the players during a timeout. And when he would do this, apparently, Larry would interrupt him and just completely dismiss all of his instruction by saying, listen, guys, just get the ball to me and everyone get out of my way, all right? Well, Jones would pause for a moment, and then he would look around at the other players, and he would respond by saying, listen, I'm I'm the coach, you know, I'm going to call the plays. He'd pause for another moment, and then he'd finally look at the other players again, he'd say, you know what, just get the ball to Larry and get out of his way. (laughs) It's like he knew what he was going to say. I share this story for a reason. You see, this really is the church's message Um, Give the ball to Jesus, put your life in his hands, and get out of the way. That's what we're talking about in this series. We're talking about the foundation of faith. Uh, For this series, we're spending our time in Luke chapter 8. And one of the major themes in Luke 8 is how to get faith, and then how to put that faith to work in the everyday aspects of life. Today, I'm going to share a message with you from Luke chapter 8, verses 22 through 25, and I want to talk about how we can have faith even when faith is hard. I don't know about you, but sometimes it's hard to have faith. I believe in Jesus. I love God with all of my life, but sometimes it's hard to have faith. That's what I've entitled the message, Faith When Faith is Hard. You know, God has called us to a life of faith. Writing to believers who were living in Corinth, the Apostle Paul said this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7. He says, For we live by faith, not by sight. We live by faith and not by sight. So we are called to be people of faith. I said last week that everybody, everybody lives by faith in something or someone, whether they want to admit it or not. Everyone lives by faith in, uh, by, in someone or some, by someone or someone. And the faith of the Christian happens to rest on a solid foundation. Our faith is in Jesus Christ, and he bases that faith on the word of God. But again, it's not always easy to have faith, is it? So today, I want to remind you about three important truths. And I believe these truths will encourage you to have faith, um, even when faith is hard. And so before we jump into the passage, let's begin our time with prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you for bringing us together this morning. It's like Jim was talking about, we can praise you in uh, the valleys, we can praise you on the peak of the mountains, um, and everything in between. And I'm fully aware, God, that in this room there are 
those of us who are, you know, on the mountaintop right now, and there are also those of us who are in the valley, maybe going through a very difficult season. And so, Lord, I ask that you would be um, our teacher, that you would encourage us in the areas where we need encouragement today, and that you may convict us in the areas where we need conviction, that it would be you who leads our lives. Help us to use our time wisely, that it would be for your glory, for the good of your people. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have a Bible with you this morning, we're going to be in Luke chapter 8, verses 22 through 25. It's not a very lengthy passage um, at all, but you can follow along on your phone or your tablet. And as always, I'm going to have the words on the screen as well. And so this is what we read. One day, Jesus said to his disciples, let's cross to the other side of the lake. So they got into a boat and they started out. As they sailed across, Jesus settled down for a nap. But soon a fierce storm came down on the lake. The boat was filling with water, and they were in real danger. The disciples went and woke him up, shouting, Master, Master, we're going to drown. When Jesus woke up, he rebuked the wind and the raging waves. Suddenly the storm stopped, and all was calm. And then he asked them, Where is your faith? The disciples were terrified and amazed. Who is this man? They asked each other. When he gives a command, even the wind and the waves obey. So chronologically, um, Jesus had just finished teaching his disciples more about the, the issue of faith and about the kingdom of God, and he did so by using several parables. And we actually read some of these parables in Matthew chapter 13, so if you have some extra time this week, you can go back and read Matthew 13, and you can kind of connect the dots uh, with where we're at today. <clears throat> you know, when I read this, I think the disciples must have felt like uh, postgraduate students at this point. (laughs) I mean, Jesus was sharing truths with them that had previously been hidden from the religious leaders of their day. He was taking them to greater depths. What they didn't realize, though, and what we need to remember today, is that faith is less about doctrine, right, what you know, and more about life, how you live. Let me say that again. Faith is less about doctrine, what you know, and more about life, how you live. It's one thing to learn a new spiritual truth, and we we should do that, right? But something else entirely, to practice that truth in the everyday experiences of life. And what we see in this particular story with, with these disciples is that faith must be tested before it can be trusted, They were going through a season of testing. We go through seasons of testing in our own lives as well. Satan doesn't care about how much biblical truth we know so long as we don't live it out. He doesn't care how many Bible studies we attend, how much biblical knowledge we have, so long as we don't live it out. And over the next few weeks, we're going to see how Jesus responded to several difficult circumstances that that tend to challenge our faith. And we face many of these same challenges today. And it's really through his example that we learn how we can overcome these challenges by faith. The first challenge is how we respond, how we choose to respond in dangerous circumstances. And we call these the storms of life. You know, Jesus was tired from a long day of ministry. So he decided to take a nap on the boat that he and his disciples were using to leave Capernaum to get to the other side of the shore. But before they left, 
Jesus gave them a word of command that was also a word of promise. He said they were going to travel together um, to the other side of the lake, and they were going to make it there together. Now, this promise should have been enough to encourage and strengthen the disciples during the storm. But the previous lessons on faith had not yet moved from the head to the heart. You know, we're all in a different place in our faith journey. I can tell you, though, I've known a lot of people over the years who know a lot of things. But when life gets tough, when life gets difficult, instead of hanging on to the mast, instead of anchoring themselves in the things that they know in their head, they let the world and, and its circumstances affect where they go. We need to allow God's truths to move from the head to the heart. Satan knows that academic truth is not dangerous, but active truth is. Academic truth is not dangerous by itself, but active truth is. Now, personally, I've never been to the Sea of Galilee, but I know several people who have. And uh, the Sea of Galilee lies about 680 feet below sea level. It's surrounded by hills. Some people call them mountains. You know, when we first moved to the La Crosse area, we were driving in, and my kids were like, look at all the mountains. You know, they're, they're, they're bluffs to us now, but they were mountains to them. A lot of people, you know, refer to these as mountains, especially on the east side where these hills or mountains can uh, reach more than 2,000 feet high. And even today, uh, really fierce storms happen as a result of the difference in temperature uh, between the seacoast and the mountains. And because the sea is so small, uh, wind and temperature changes, they can reach the very center of the lake, resulting in some pretty nasty weather. I've heard that most of the tour guides who live in the area, um, they've seen storms like this, and when asked about it, they say they never want to see it again. This would have been an extremely dangerous situation for these disciples. And here Jesus is, taking a nap, <laughs> sleeping on the boat while the disciples were in full panic mode. That leads us to our first point for today. If you're taking notes, the disciples were afraid. They were terrified, but Jesus was not. The disciples were afraid, but Jesus was not. You know, growing up on the south side of Oklahoma City, I, I could tell you a few stories about storms. Uh, the National Weather Center uh, is located in Norman, Oklahoma, just a few miles south of where I grew up. And the meteorologists on the news stations, they're kind of like local celebrities. Um, one of the more charismatic personalities uh, is a guy by the name of David Payne. And when a big storm is stirring up, uh, we call him Panic Payne because he gets so animated about the weather. And it's like, you know, grab your popcorn. Uh, we're in for the night. We're going to watch this thing. We're going to see it through. <laughs> and uh, he keeps you entertained the entire time. On May 3rd, 1999, I remember exactly what I was doing. My dad and I decided to get on the roof of our house because there was a pretty massive storm coming. And off in the distance, uh, we could see an F5 tornado uh, rip through Moore, Oklahoma. Again, sitting on the roof. I have a couple photos I want to show you this morning of that day. Now, cameras weren't great in 1999, but uh, the photo on the left is a neighborhood uh, just like the neighborhood that my uncle lived in, his house was completely destroyed. And uh, as far as the eye can see, it was just wasteland. I mean, it looked like an atomic bomb had gone off. And the photo on the right, you can actually see the lighter area. You can see the path of the tornado. Now, this is an aerial view, so it doesn't look too huge, but this tornado was about a mile wide. 
a mile wide. Again, my uncle lost his house that day, everything that he had to his name. Um, Tragically, 46 people lost their lives. Thousands of families lost their homes. This event was the first time uh, that the National Weather Service used the term tornado emergency live on air. And now today, if a big storm is stirring up, right, they get on air and they say, if you are um, above ground, if you are in a trailer, a mobile home park, um, you need to get somewhere else because you're probably not going to live through it. You know, they don't sugarcoat it at all. And I remember we moved back to Oklahoma City in 2015 uh, from Indiana. And that first month that we moved, it was in May, we were down in our tornado shelter probably every other day, it felt like. And it was so hot and so humid, and everyone was cranky. And uh, these spaces are so small. <laughs> and, uh, but it's, re- it's really no laughing matter. I mean, it's, it's an amazing thing to see in terms of the weather. Um, but it's heartbreaking, you know, the devastation that it leaves behind. Now, for some reason, storms like this really don't bother me. Um, I sleep better when there's a thunderstorm outside. I don't know if any of you are the same way. Uh, my wife, on the other hand, she hates storms. All right, if it's thundering and lightning, I want to sleep. I'm like, I've been looking forward to this. It just puts me to sleep, and then she's like nudging me, and she wants me to stay awake. And so, you know, I end up staying awake and missing my opportunity. But, you know, if... Uh, yeah, she, she just can't sleep through it. And I was, thinking, I was thinking this week about this story about Jesus and the disciples. And I was thinking that, you know, if I'm able to sleep through a storm like this, just like Jesus, um, but my wife has to stay up in panic mode just like the disciples, that must mean that I'm more spiritual than she is. And so... <laughs> but, you know, on a serious note, I, I, think, I think it's funny how storms affect people in different ways, whether literally or, or the storms of life. The disciples were going through a literal storm at this time, but they also experienced several life storms as they followed Jesus. This truth always remained the same, regardless of what they went through, that when they were afraid, guess what? Jesus was not. It's true in our lives as well, that when we are afraid, maybe you're afraid of something today, God is not. Psalm 89, verses 8 and 9, I just love these two verses. They show us just the, the amazing power and authority and sovereignty of God. It says, O Lord, God of heaven's armies, where is there anyone as mighty as you, O Lord? You are entirely faithful. You rule the oceans. You subdue their storm-tossed waves. Now imagine knowing the Psalms, having heard this, And now, following this rabbi, Jesus, who you believe is the Messiah, turns out he is, knowing this verse and then seeing with your own eyes Jesus calming the storms, that you rule the oceans, God, you subdue their storm-tossed waves, couldn't be anybody else. Now, the problem for the disciples, the problem for all of us, is really not the storms that we experience. We like to put so much emphasis on the difficulties that we face in life, whether it's work-related, marriage-related, relationship-related, whatever it is. We put so much emphasis on that. But the problem, friends, really is the unbelief within us. I was talking with one of our elders this past week about this passage, and he said, you know, the odds of a major storm hitting you is pretty small, but the odds of God being with you is 100%. We need to remember that. Now, again, we were talking about the literal storm that the disciples uh, experienced, but this truth translates to the storms of life as well. These are the trials and the troubles that that we all experience. 
that when we are afraid, God is not. And as we're going to see in this passage, unbelief is more dangerous than the storm itself. Unbelief is a matter of the will. It's refusing to believe God's word. It's refusing to follow him. It's choosing to not obey what he calls us to do and, and be. You know, choosing to not believe that God is who he says he is and that he promises to be with us regardless of what we go through, that's far more dangerous than the storms that we face. There's a story that illustrates this perfectly, I think, in Mark's gospel, chapter 9. I'll just give you the context, and then towards the end, I'll read a couple of verses that will we'll tie, it, tie it together and bring it home. But what was going on in this story? Jesus was traveling with his disciples um, when a large crowd of people surrounded them. And this is going to be happening more and more as we go through Luke. This is where Jesus is at in his ministry. People are curious. People are angry. People want to know more. The religious leaders in the area, they were arguing back and forth with the people. So when Jesus saw the people and they saw Jesus, they ran up to him as fast as they could. Jesus asked them what was going on. And one of the men in the crowd, he decided to speak up. And this is what he said. He said, teacher, I brought my son so you could heal him. He's possessed by an evil spirit that won't let him talk. And whenever this spirit seizes him, it throws him violently to the ground. And then he foams at the mouth and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast out the evil spirit, but they couldn't do it. So apparently this father had asked Jesus' disciples to heal his son, but they just couldn't do it. And this started an argument between the religious leaders and the rest of the people. And now they're looking to Jesus for answers and for help. But before addressing what appeared to be the main issue, because again, we go through difficult times and we put so much emphasis on the, what we think is the main issue. So before addressing what appeared to be the main issue, you know, it was really just a symptom of a much greater problem, Jesus decided to address the real problem first. He looked to the crowds, and this is what he said. You faithless people, how long must I be with you? How long must I put up with you? And then he said, bring the boy to me. They brought the boy to Jesus, but when the evil spirit saw him, the Bible says it threw the child into a violent convulsion, and he fell to the ground. And this kind of thing had been happening to the boy since he was a young child. And seeing this, the boy's father said to Jesus, have mercy on us, help us if you can. And then the next two verses are what I want to read for you this morning. They're so important to the story, but they also tie in and connect with what we're talking about today as it relates to this greater issue of faith in our lives. Mark chapter 9, 23 and 24. What do you mean if I can, Jesus asked. Anything is possible if a person believes. Now, oftentimes we stop there and we think, oh, if I just believe hard enough, then God will answer this prayer. Then my friend will be healed. My relative will be healed. This problem will go away. Well, listen, the father instantly cried out, I do believe. But help me overcome my unbelief. I do believe but help me overcome my unbelief. Commenting on this passage, a theologian and pastor R.C. Sproul, and he's passed away, but he's done a lot of great work for God And when he was alive. This is what he said. Everybody who is a Christian has some level of authentic saving faith in their hearts, but the level of our faith is not constant. It waxes and wanes. It increases. It diminishes. I don't care how strong your faith is. There are moments in this world where your faith is assaulted by the enemy. 
Sometimes your faith is like hanging on by your fingernails. You make the prayer that this man made to Jesus, I do believe. But mixed in with that belief is unbelief. We all need help with our unbelief. So when you're going through the storms of life and your faith seems rocky, it seems frail, let me say again, you need to tie yourself to the mast. Go to the source of your faith. Go to the Word of God. I can tell you from personal experience that there's no time in my life that my faith is stronger than when I'm immersed in God's Word. It's when I step away from His Word. The storms of life, circumstances of life, make their way in and take root and they just take over. Staying close to the Word, listening to the promises of God, looking to Jesus, these are the things that remind us that we can put our faith in a faithful God. Amen? God is faithful. It's not a matter of if you'll experience life storms, but when. You know, my pastor back in Oklahoma, he says this all the time. He says, you're either just coming out of a storm You're currently in a storm or there's a storm on its way. That describes every person in this room. It's not a matter of if you'll experience one of life's storms, but when. And when you do, when you do, you can be reminded that when you are afraid, God is not. That's really the first step in learning to have faith when faith is hard. And that leads us to the second step, really, it's that faith is believing and obeying in spite of our circumstances. That's what faith is. It's choosing to believe and obey in spite of our circumstances. During the literal storm, the disciples' first response was fear. They woke Jesus up by shouting, Master, Master, we're going to drown. Even though Jesus had promised that they would travel to the other side of the lake together and that they would do it safely, they allowed their circumstances to overshadow the promise. And we're not so different today, are we? We tend to forget God's promises when life gets tough. Uh, Rick Warren had this to say about fear. He says that fear is a self-imposed prison, meaning we, we make it ourselves, that will keep you from becoming what God intends for you to be. You must move against it with the weapons of faith and love. God's plan for your life is not fear. It's faith. And faith is believing God's promises and choosing to obey His Word in spite of your circumstances. And this isn't something that we just muster up on our own either. I want to be very clear about that. According to Scripture, faith is a gift that God gives us. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7 says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity. So if you're experiencing that fear in your life as it relates to one of life's storms, that timidity, that's not something that God has given you. That's something that Satan is planting in your mind. For God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. I would go as far as to say that it's impossible for fear and faith to coexist in the same heart. If we're fearful, we're not being faithful. If we're being faithful, we're not fearful. 
As it turns out, there's a lot of things that we are fearful about. Uh, Chapman University, it's a private Christian research university in California. Um, Last year, they compiled a study trying to figure out what it is that Americans are most afraid of. And they partnered with other colleges to do this. So this was done with thousands of participants just in a short amount of time. They came up with a top 10 list that includes things that people say they're either afraid of or very afraid of. And I want to share that with you this morning. And maybe there's something on this list that kind of hits home with you today. Uh, Number 10 on the list was biological warfare. Uh, 51.5% of the population says this is something they're afraid of. Uh, Number 9 was pollution of oceans, rivers, and lakes. That was 52.5%. Number 8 was economic and financial collapse. So worries and fears about the economy. That's 53.7%. And number 7 is closely related. It's not having enough money for the future or enough money just to pay your bills. So it's money-related issues. We tend to think a lot about money, worry about money. Number six was pollution of drinking water. So apparently there's 54.5% of the population that's scared of the water. Number five was another world war breaking out, something we've heard a lot about. But for many of you who've lived, you know, many decades, that's probably something you've heard a lot about. 56% of the population Number four is a little more personal. It's people that you love dying. People that you love dying. It's 58%. Number three is Russia using nuclear weapons. Um, Believe it or not, almost 60% of the population is is fearful of that. Number two is personal again. Uh, It's people that you love becoming seriously ill. Again, this was taken in 2022, so right on the tail end of, of COVID and everything that was going on, a lot of people are afraid of getting sick. And the number one I thought was interesting, this um, was not on the list at all um, prior to 2021 and 2022. Number one on the list is corrupt government officials. 62.1% of the population is fearful of the government in the country that they live in. 62.1%. So I share this with you not to stir up anything that you may be afraid of, but to cause you to think critically about this and biblically about this. I don't know what it is that you're afraid of this morning, but what I do know is this, that what you fear the most often reveals where you trust God the least. Let me say that again. What you fear the most often reveals where you trust God the least. And so my question for you is this, what fear has taken root in your life this season? Is it the fear of losing a loved one? Is it the fear of your marriage falling apart? Is it the fear of finances? Is it war breaking out? Is it the right person getting into office? Is it issues with with raising your kids? Psalm 46, verses 1 through 3, is, is one of these passages that can act like the mass that we hold on to during those difficult seasons. It says that God is our refuge and our strength, always ready to help in times of trouble. We, we don't serve a God who is distant, who is impersonal. We serve a personal God who walks with us through the things that we go through. And he says, so we will not fear. Let me say that again. We will not Fear when earthquakes come and the mountains crumble into the sea. Let the oceans roar and foam. Let the mountains tremble as the waters surge because of the God that we serve. When we are afraid, God is not. 
So faith is believing and it's obeying. It's being faithful in spite of our circumstances. God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and self-control. That's going to lead us to the final point for today if you're taking notes. God wants to give you the gift of faith even when faith is hard. God wants to give you the gift of faith even when faith is hard. So the disciples are screaming, they're yelling, Master, Master, wake up. Jesus wakes up from his nap. And what does he do? He simply speaks. He rebukes the wind and the waves and the storm immediately stopped. I don't know why, but this just brings back memories of seeing tornadoes rip through communities, seeing crazy weather happen. And and what tends to happen right after the storm? It's like the skies are clear and the sun is out and the birds are chirping. You're in the midst of the storm and you think it's never going to end, right? Every other day we're sitting down in this storm shelter and we think, when can we leave this thing? We forget that on the other side of this, God already has a plan. He's already there. He turned to his disciples and he asked them this question. Where is your faith? Where is your faith? The Bible tells us that they were terrified and amazed all at the same time. I mean, talk about a mixture of emotions. Being terrified and amazed. Terrified and amazed. And looking at each other, they said, Who is this man? Who is this person? When he gives a command, even the wind and the waves obey. I was reminded this week that faith or faithfulness is a fruit of the Spirit. It's a fruit of the Spirit. Remember from last week's message, these are the things that the Holy Spirit wants to grow in our lives. And we don't grow these things ourselves. We just need to have a heart that's ready to hear and receive God's Word and His work in our lives. And the fruit of the Spirit, in this case, faith or faithfulness, is what the Holy Spirit wants to produce in us. Galatians 5, 22 and 23. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. This is the work that God wants to do in you. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. And here it is. Faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Fear is nowhere on this list. Faith is a gift. God wants to give you that gift to grow faith in you, even during those times when faith is hard. And I have found in my own life, friends, that God often grows my faith the most when I really have to trust Him, when I have to lean on Him, rely on Him. And so again, I ask, what do you currently fear the most right now? Remember, that's often where you trust God the least. And that's where God wants to grow your faith. As we go about our day, each one of us experiences difficult circumstances. A lot of times when we experience these things, we forget that Jesus said that here on earth you will have trials. You're going to have sorrows. You're going to have troubles. But you can take heart because I've overcome these things. I've overcome the world. And we've been given this amazing gift of faith. And we're actually taught how to use it in Scripture. We're taught how to put our faith to work. But far too often, we leave it in a drawer at home. And when we do experience the storms of life, whether it be financial troubles, painful relationships, deteriorating health, 
It's hard for us to remember that God is still active and at work in our lives, that he's promised to finish that work to completion. This is because as humans, we like to respond to things based on what we can see in front of us instead of responding in faith. We don't often see the, the full painting. We don't have the full perspective. But we're given that when we go to God's word and we're reminded about who God is. And so again, I want to share 2 Corinthians 5, 7 with you this morning. For we live by faith, not by sight. We live by faith. It can be really hard to trust God during difficult and uncertain times. But as believers, we know that his thoughts are not our thoughts. That God's ways are not our ways. I think that's always funny, especially in my own life, when I'm going through something difficult and I like to try to determine ahead of time how God should respond in that situation. His thoughts are not my thoughts. His ways are not my ways. They're always better. They're always for His glory first and foremost, and they're always for my good. It's the same for you as well. And so God wants to give you the gift of faith, even when faith is hard. Faith. 